Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I'm doing really well. It's, uh, I think this is the longest streak we've gone between recording in quite a while. And yeah. it's been... It's been a weird feeling. Like I've missed this. Yeah. So we so we pushed recording night one night. Uh-huh. You know, just for I mean, a couple of things. My youngest daughter had a game, a soccer game, and it was a rescheduled game, and I, so I got to go see that a four-one win for them. Nice. Yeah. So she loves to play uh, defender, and she just ran over a girl. That oh, wow. <laughs> like well, by the end, I was like, I was like, did you run over like two or three girls? And she's like, no, I think it was four. Um, you know, I mean, she's just super aggressive out there, uh-huh. but this one was one where like it's, it, it, it saved a goal because she put her shoulder into her and, and just had her go wide and yeah, made a really nice play. So yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it was fun to do that. That's cool. So yeah, you know, I, I made it sound like it was like the longest time in the world, but like you've said, it's, it's only one day that we shifted, but after multiple weeks of doing it like Friday. It, it it threw my rhythm off a little bit, especially paired with we didn't have any new Marvel stuff to do. We were doing Captain right. America today. Yeah. So it was just like, it was kind of like just having my hands on my lap, just wondering what to do during the week. So you didn't do anything Friday night? You didn't get caught no. up with the Clone Wars? I, okay. <laughs> Listen, I've disappointed both you and Leech because like I watched it for like three weeks and then I completely fell off. <laughs> And it's good. I like it. I just haven't gone back to it. I know. You're texting me. God, this is so good. This shouldn't be this good. Mm-hmm. How far are you into it? Like three episodes. No, <laughs> I'm like I'm like seven episodes. <laughs> seven in a movie. Each. Six in a movie. <laughs> Six in a movie, yeah. But I, I think you're hinting at the fact, uh, um, briefly, have you been watching The Bad Batch? Yes, I've seen both episodes. I admit I haven't been... To, again, the headspace of where I'm at, the like, like the freedom to not watch anything this past Friday, mm-hmm. you know, and to be like, oh, hey, I don't, you know, you know, I, I, I have that the day off, we're gonna record the next day, and I don't have anything I have to watch today. I forgot episode two of Bad Batch <laughs> came out. I did watch the episode one of Bad Batch the day it came out. I watched it that night, and I did mm-hmm. watch episode one before my daughter's soccer game. So I've seen them both. Nice. And they had a callback. That whole episode was a callback to one of my favorite episodes from the Clone Wars. Oh, nice. Yeah, like the entire episode. So yeah, it was great. That's that's super cool. Well, uh, I think that is tangentially related to something we wanted to talk about at the beginning, because since I th- I think this is the reason, since the Bad Batch would conflict with release schedule of Loki on Fridays... We have now gotten an announcement that Loki will be premiering on June 9th, a Wednesday, and subsequently every Wednesday after that, um, which is really interesting because uh, we, after two shows of being used to Fridays, uh, it's it's going to be different having it drop on Wednesdays instead. You know what? I I think this is a good move. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. We we've, we've enjoyed the weekly drops. Yep. I think my two biggest complaints about Disney Plus right now. And one's about to be rectified, which was Black Widow. Uh-huh. Because, you know, Disney Plus is a thing. Why'd you wait so long? <laughs> but the other one was 
it was so much nostalgia driven. Like it was cool to go watch some old cartoons and shows and, and those types of things. But in terms of new content, it felt like for the longest time, you're getting something from Netflix one on top of the other, right? Mm-hmm. Or even stuff that's simultaneously knowing that it has different audiences. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like, okay, you got the Mandalorian right away. And then it's like, okay, what do we have? This National Geographic thing, which is pretty cool. You, you weren't know. a fan of uh, Jeff Goldblum Explores the World? I didn't watch it, so I don't know if I'm a fan of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got the title wrong, too. So, yeah. so. <laughs> You know, it's, it. you know, if they would have named it, you know, um, oh, what's this guy? What's his name? Grandmaster? Yeah. If it was like Grandmaster <laughs> shows the world, then man, maybe I'm in, maybe I, maybe I'll watch it right away. But no, so, so in that, in, in that sense, I think it's finally like you're going to have some overlapping shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I'm smart it- move. I'm, I'm glad they did it. It's definitely a smart move. And I was very curious how they were going to handle it because just the Marvel content alone is going to be interesting to handle and juggle, releasing it throughout the year. Mm-hmm. But then throwing in Star Wars as well. Like, I was very curious to see what they were going to do. And I, I think you bring up a good point because I remember a time on Netflix where, like, House of Cards was it. That was their original production and like that was i remember it was such a big deal and now it's like every week there's something new and they're not afraid of concurrent shows running so i think at some point disney plus is just gonna have to be okay with that and realize what you said that there are different audiences for different things yeah well and also i mean with netflix right there's clearly like you binge watch something Mm -hmm. you almost need to have multiple things going because somebody's going to finish something in a day, two days and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do episodic, just treat it like a normal TV station. True. MCU Wednesdays, Star Wars Fridays. I, Pixar Thursdays. Yeah. Pixar Thursdays. Um, however you want to do it. Cause, cause there it, it becomes like we talked about it, that appointment viewing mm-hmm. and, and you're grabbing an audience. Now, let's be honest between star, between the three things you mentioned, that fandom crosses. Yeah. It's pretty much a circle. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and so in, in that way, like you're grabbing viewers every mm-hmm. day of the week. Yeah. Kevin Feige, super fan. If y'all are hiring. We're available. We're <laughs> always ready. Well, you know, speaking of appointment viewing, I think another important thing to mention here at, with this Loki change, uh, something I found really amusing is the moment that that news was dropped, I got multiple texts from friends of like, Hey, how is this going to, you know, conflict with y'all's schedule with the podcast? And at least for me, I'd be curious to see what you think, because I don't think we've actually talked about it too much. Oh, no, no. Remember, you sent me me the text and I sent you back a mad face. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the extent of our communication on that. Um, But no, like I, I, you know, people would ask me like, hey, what are you guys going to do for the podcast now that it's changing up? And honestly... I don't think anything changes production wise. Like we still do what we do uh, just over the course of a couple of days and we'll drop on Monday. Right. Uh, the, o- the only thing I think that changes is potentially the reception of something coming out days later rather than, you know, two days later. Mm-hmm. So that that's the thing I'm curious about. Yeah, I think, I th- you know, uh, Monday still I'm saying it like it was if we're debating it. Monday still will be our drop day. Of course, yeah. In terms of production, 
uh, if we record Wednesday night, Friday night, I guess that gives us a little bit of freedom there. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's I think our drop, our, our drop days stay the same. Yeah. And just to clarify, because I was replaying back what I said in my head, the, the reception of our podcast, like when people are searching for new stuff related to Loki, whether or not that will affect it being this many days out versus what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. So. But it'll be fun. Uh, I, I think we both are in agreement that the consistency of a Monday drop is um, something we're going to keep striving for. Yeah. Who knows? We, if, we, if we have to revisit it, we will... But I'm I'm not anticipating revisiting it through Loki. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, that's going to bring us to the meat of our episode, which if you've downloaded, you've seen the title. Uh, today, we're going to be doing a review on Captain America, the first Avenger. Now, when we've done the reviews before, we broke it down into three acts, and that's how we structured it. This review is going to be a little bit different because we're going to try and adapt the most important topics uh, format that we did for the Disney Plus shows into this. So, um, yeah. You know, something we need to decide at the beginning here that I just thought of. Do we have to do the spoiler zone for this too? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I really don't. I, I really feel like the spoiler zone should be for the Disney Plus shows. Mm-hmm. Don't think the movies warrant the. Spoiler zone. Okay, cool. I, I'm pretty much like I think our general rule of thumb is is um, everything up to far from home when we started this podcast. So right. everything after. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it feels weird to jump right into it. But our first important topic is going to be entitled "A Good Man." This section is basically kind of our overall review of Captain America, as well as zoning in on the character of Steve Rogers himself. So, Jude, is there a specific place you'd like to start? You know what? I, okay, I'm going to start here. I liked that he used the trash can as a lid. The trash can, <laughs> I'm sorry, not as a lid. Oh, that sounds so stupid. I like that he used the trash can lid as a shield, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just saying the famous line, right? I can do this all day. Mm-hmm. Knowing where he ends up and you get that through line all the way from the very beginning is just so fantastic. You know, it's within five minutes of Steve Rogers, like, because there's some stuff in the beginning before we actually get to him. But Mm -hmm. once Steve Rogers is on the screen, within five minutes, you know everything you need to know about him all the way through getting beat up in the alley and still standing back up. And the thing that I like about it is it shows that Steve is that idealist. You know, he wants to serve his country. He wants to do what's right. But. He being honest, he's he's being really dumb about it, like the way he keeps getting getting back up and he's putting himself in danger. But what sets him apart is that, like, I think what you said, he's willing to follow through with the I can do this all day. So Mm -hmm. even though it feels like I don't know if showboating is the right word, but I'm going to go with it. It feels like showboating. We know that it really means something to him. Yeah. What the only thing I found interesting is, you know, Bucky talks to him. And about all his different tries to join. And my note here is like, so he's willing to lie to get what he wants. Uh-huh. And I, and I just found that interesting because in Endgame, you get that debate about like, would Steve Rogers have sat on the sideline, you know, knowing all these things happen? I mean, you, you get you get all that like duty, sense of duty. Um, and 
And just and, for clarity, you're talking about him going back. Right, right. When he when he jumped to that other universe mm-hmm. and lived out his life with, with Peggy. I just I just found it interesting right there. It's like, man, he's he's willing to lie to get it. And again, I I forgive mm-hmm. it, right? I just where we end up, you know, like it didn't bother me. It's just where we end up with that character and public perception of character, cultural perception of character, you know, and 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 you see where he's at, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, and trying to mm-hmm. get what he wants, you know. And even when he asks, is this a test to, you know, as, as Dr. Erskine is, is getting him in, just a question there, is this a test? The line, the answer, you know, is the whole I hate bullies or, or whatever I don't wanna, the line was. At that I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's genuine. But the fact that he asked, you know, is this a test? Just kind of had this implication of like a calculated mm-hmm. answer. Rather than like, well, you know what I mean? A calculated answer to try right. to get what you want. Uh, and I just, I just well, found I, I think. If, from what I'm hearing, because of the evidence of what he's willing to lie about to to do that, like, yeah, my only pushback, and I, I do admit this is thin, he looks, when, when Dr. Erskine asks him about that, he looks to the side, but the camera doesn't change, it stays on him. He's looking at that sign that says it's illegal to falsify um, your enlistment forms. So you could take mm-hmm. that as like, okay, this is the moment where he's being genuine, but Again, I, I do feel like that is a, a thin defense of uh, the yeah. the characteristic lying up to this point. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, mm-hmm. I don't blame him, right? Like, like I, I think it works. Yeah. It didn't bother me. I, it's just found interesting of, like, the, the the beginnings of this character. It, it feels at odds of, of and I mean, character development, I get it. But, but you get this idea, though, right? He's just, the title, mm-hmm. a good man. He, you know, of, of our segment here. He's a good man through and through, and that's mm-hmm. why it works. So yeah, so I just I just found that interesting. You know, sticking with this moment, uh, leading into Dr. Erskine bringing him in to to question him about why he wants to do this, we see that Bucky and Steve are arguing outside the enlistment station, and Steve specifically says there are men laying down their lives. I got no right to do any less than them. That's what you don't understand. This isn't about me. And the mm-hmm. reason I like that moment is because it marries both the idealism of Steve, like I was talking about, but also sort of the realism of Bucky. Uh, Bucky was like warning him. He's like, you know, they're going to catch you or worse, they'll take you. Like he's he's realizing right. the danger that Steve is putting himself through. And he even throws it at Steve's face when he says like, oh, right, because you have nothing to prove. I yeah. think this works because I think something that might get brought up a lot in our review is whether you buy into it or not, I think Steve so often is written as the exception to the rule. And if you buy into it, you, you see that for Steve, he really means it. Like he wants to, like he, he believes that he has no right then to do the same thing as everybody else. But mm-hmm. I think any other person, you would see what Bucky sees and like, Oh, you've got a chip on your shoulder. This is what's propelling you so much going through, through this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it comes across that way, right? That that chip on your shoulder, and I don't think that that's bad, right? We we just got finished watching the NFL draft uh-huh. what, a week ago, and and I, and I only bring that up is because you hear all the time a guy slides, all of a sudden he's gonna great, he's gonna come in with a chip on his shoulder and work harder. Like we culturally and society wise, that chip on your shoulder 
we we mm-hmm. see as a good thing. You know, so so I do find it interesting of like like well what you said, Bucky's calling him out on it, but having that something to prove isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's a motivator. St- sticking with football, was it Richard Sermon who like came out and admitted that he would make up lies in his own head about other receivers to make himself like pumped up to defend against them? Oh yeah. 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 He said that. I mean, if you've watched The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, like he would he was insane. The stuff he would the the lies he would come up just to motivate himself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I never thought about I guess cuz I I was thinking and this is probably the fanboy in me, but I was thinking in it in the like the authenticity of who Steve Rogers is. Like he really does mean this. And in contrast, I felt like I was reading the scene as like, "Oh, Bucky's getting it wrong." But you're right. Having a chip on your shoulder isn't inherently bad. Um, and I'm glad I'm glad you framed no. it that way. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. No, a chip shoulder, that's different because that's that's probably medical attention. And, <laughs> um, of course, after the serum, Rogers probably doesn't have to worry about that. Can he get a broken bone? Well, if this is any in-text evidence, you know, I used to think this was an oversight or something that was ridiculous. But whenever he does get the serum, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. When he gets the serum and he takes off after the Hydra agent and he crashes through the window, I always thought it was like silly that he was yeah. walking across it barefooted and nothing happened. But that's probably the serum. Mm-hmm. Like he's probably just not getting hurt by it at all. Yeah, that's. I know. I huh. <laughs> did. I did. I just spark something. I had the same. I had a similar note of like. Of like he runs it, he runs them down with you know, with no shoes, with, with you know, barefoot, mm-hmm. no less, <laughs> is essentially uh, mm-hmm. what I had there. It was, yeah. it was great. Pulling back just a little bit because again, this isn't sequential, but I guess we're kind of sticking through to it with our notes. Something else I wanted to zone in on: we're, we're speaking so much about what made Steve a great man prior to the serum. I wanted to highlight this. Whenever they were in the training, uh, Steve had already been accepted. He was training with the other recruits. And Tommy Lee Jones' character, uh, Colonel Phillips, was trying to, I believe, was the character's name Hodge? He was trying to push Hodge as the person Mm -hmm. that they should use the serum on. And he has the lines, you don't win wars with niceness, doctors. You win war with guts. It is fantastic having just finished Falcon and the Winter Soldier that this is a line that you can pull through from here all the way to John Walker saying, like, he's got the guts to be Captain America. And, you know, Rogers proved he had guts. He laid mm-hmm. down on the grenade. And Walker did it four different times as well. <laughs> he, has have, he even has a special <laughs> hat for it. Yeah, that's, oh my gosh. Same thing. Rogers, only one to follow the grenade. I know it's... But I, I loved. Okay, first I'm gonna say this: the, the cat. I feel like the casting of Tommy Lee Jones was fantastic he, for that part. He is a welcome surprise every time I revisit this movie. For some reason, I always forget he's in it, and I'm always delighted when I remember. Yes, it's fantastic. But it does show something about that mentality, right? In terms of, uh, I agree, it takes guts, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, what? Uh, visually maybe or stereotypically maybe the stereotype of what guts mm-hmm. is you know or the look of guts as opposed to you know that x factor mm-hmm. so to speak uh you, you stick with the nfl draft for a second you know? <laughs> the, the, well i mean right there you always talk about these players are like you know great combine but do they have that mm-hmm. it factor 
you know, that, that, that really is going to set him apart. Um, and, and I think that's that difference, you know, um, where, where it shows that, uh, the, the sense of, yeah, you look like a great soldier, but you got to do more mm-hmm. than just look the part. Yeah. Cause I mean, as soon as the, you know, you bring it up wonderfully, as soon as the, the, the dud of a grenade is thrown, obviously Steve jumps right on it, but Hodge is immediately behind one of the Jeeps. Like it wasn't even a thought for him to like jump on it. And just while we're in this moment, I think it's also equally important to point out that Peggy Carter looked like she was willing to jump on the grenade as well, too, which might be something to keep in mind mm-hmm. whenever we get into the what if and get the uh, Captain Britain what if scenario. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited for those. Me, too. Yeah. Now, but the other thing, just before this, Rogers gets the flag. Yeah. And what was so cool, you know, it was so cool about that, right? Because he's he knows that strength isn't the answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and it and it fits with later with the is it Erskine or Erskine? I believe it's Erskine, Abraham Erskine. Every time I hear that name, I think of the the journal that gets mispronounced. Is it Moleskine or Moleskine? I've um, always pronounced it Moleskine. Am I wrong? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea, and so that's why the name. I'm like, I have no idea. Well. Uh, I'll say this. I was rewatching Winter Soldier. I, I'm still getting Batrock wrong. I was calling him Bartrock all through Falcon and the Winter I, Soldier. <laughs> I thought it was Batrock. Anyways, Batrock the Leaper. So, yeah, it's... But now he knows, right? It's like he was able to do it. Didn't take strength. It took something else besides strength. Mm-hmm. Erskine, Erskine, Stanley Tucci knew that that, that Rogers had that... Oh, I'm just going to call the X factor, that it factor. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm so NFL on the mind right now because I didn't even pay attention to the draft. I haven't paid attention to the draft in years. We're gonna Outside get side. Like for, we're gonna get okay. sidetracked. But you strike me as the person that's like, oh, I don't care about the game. But you're like peeking through your fingers, like wanting to watch it. Like you just don't want to get emotionally invested <laughs> because you always are somehow in the know of what's going on in football. But you'll never say that you're watching it. Well, I don't. I just follow on Twitter. <laughs> I just get the tweet updates from like sports writers. Uh-huh. I don't look, man. I, the way I consume stuff now is is crazy. Technology's changed things. Uh huh. Sports writers through Twitter, um, even the debates, whatever debate is going to go on politically, I'm going to watch that live. <laughs> <laughs> Got Marvel movies to watch. Well, somebody else is going to chop it up and and break it down and cut all the the other parts out. Like, if I want to see all the funny parts, there's going to be a clip of that. If that was the, <laughs> the 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 top these topics, there's going to be a clip of that. Like, I don't need to watch that live. Um, it's about time efficiency, time management. Uh huh. So speaking yeah, of, no, so, let's get back on track. <laughs> sorry. See what happens when we take a day off. I know. In Bush a day. Um. <laughs> Anyways, you know, <laughs> one of the things that stood out to me is he's watching the newsreel, you know, and I, and I know, again, we're jumping around, but it talked about any abled body young man. Yeah. God, I imagine that had to eat at him. Mm-hmm. That had to eat at Rogers, just the whole, well, you mentioned it. What right do I have to not do the same? Um but I, I just I liked the writing there just to, mm-hmm. to just to really put it in his face, in our face. Mm-hmm. Um, his truly incapable mm-hmm. as he was. Yeah. Which I got two thoughts. The first one's short. 
Man, what? how do you think the body double feels? <laughs> the, the way the movie continuously takes shots at this person. Now, and, okay, wasn't... How did, did... Didn't they use visual effects for that? I'm fairly certain... It was a mix, right? Yes. It was like they had... I think they had kind of like what they did in The Social Network with... Uh, is it the Winkle, Winklevoss twins? Where there was Arnie yeah. Hammer, which is not great anymore. Uh... And then they had somebody else, and they just doubled the head on the two bodies. I think yeah, that's, I guess so. Yeah. That's similar to what they did here. Is my understanding there was a body double, and then they had Chris Evans, and then pasted the the head on. But yeah, can you imagine being that person? As mean hey, as this movie is, he got work. That's okay. All right, he got work. That's not going to set up great for what I'm about to say next. Uh, this is something. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I actually was was, I guess, tuned into because of the MCU and Me podcast. Uh, they did a really good breakdown of some of. I'm going to butcher this, so I will definitely have to link to their episode so you can hear it. But like body shaming in a way, like there's so many pot mm. shots at that, and I don't think this movie is equipped to handle that subject but there is a little bit of a, a through line you can read up until it gets to the point where you have the fantasy of chris evans ripped body coming out of the machine but yeah like there there is something to be said of what you're saying where steve is feeling incapable and constantly looked down on just because of the how scrawny he is man i have to think about that because i hmm like that didn't come to mind at all Mm-hmm. And I don't know if if it didn't come to mind because I've, I've seen it before, mm-hmm. you know, and so it didn't come to mind on this watch. If I just see it as a plot, not really a plot device, but even, you know, thinking about the comic, thinking about who Steve Rogers is, Captain America, the serum, how that works, you know, to, to kind of emphasize the the change after the serum you, to... Mm-hmm. Hmm. Go well, it's like the other way, you know. So yeah. I, I don't know. I just, hmm. I, I really have to think about that idea of of body shaming, and it, is that, you know, I'll say is, this. Is it like, just, go ahead, you say it. I was gonna say, like, I think in the same way that it doesn't, like, Bucky. I'm sorry, Steve lying on the elusement form doesn't take away from the story that it's telling. Like, it doesn't take away from the story for me because. I honestly just don't think it was on the minds of of the consciousness at the time, even if it should have been, at least not as widely as it is now. But it is something that is in, inherently more noticeable to me now watching it in 2021. Mm-hmm. Wow, 10 years. What? Or did we? Yeah, this came out in 2011? Yeah. Wow. I believe cool. that's correct, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I I don't know. I have to think about that some more. Cuz I just don't okay. know if I agree to say okay, that's that's here's a case or an issue of body shaming. Mhm. Um Yeah. Uh, well, I'll I'll say this. Like, like, like I'm like, I'm not I'm not denying it. Right? No, no, no. I, I just just none of it really. I just never saw it or thought of it that way. So yeah, that's interesting. The, the moment that comes to mind is Colonel Phillips, where 
you know, he's talking about how scrawny he is. You poke a needle in him, you're going to go right through him. Uh, even after Steve tests his might with jumping on the uh, mm-hmm. grenade, he's like, I don't care. He's still skinny. Like, he just, like, constantly yeah. beat, puts him down with stuff like that. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and all the way to the other end, like, so he comes out with his shirt off. Uh-huh. And you have that moment with Peggy where it's like she couldn't resist her, herself to, to reach out to touch him. Uh-huh. And so you go from super scrawny, skinny to so ripped that like I can't control myself. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna have to think about that and rewatch it. That's fine. We'll come back with, to with it. that in mind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because mm-hmm. it just it, it just never occurred to me. And again, like I said, it was something that I kind of was privy to thanks to the MCU and Me podcast, which uh, we'll put yeah. a link in the show notes because it was a re- it was a really good episode. So I think another thing that would be good to zone in on in this area is the conversation with Dr. Erskine and Steve Rogers. And to pull the quote, which I love a lot, you know, Erskine was explaining to Steve why he was chosen for this program. And the quote goes, a strong man who has known power all his life may lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. What a perfect encapsulation of the DNA of what I think Captain America should be, or at least has been through the MCU. Yeah. And I think, and we can kind of, we can use this as a branching off point because we were discussing a little bit of it pre-recording. I think there is a fair critique that you could give to this movie as being... Kind of like not. I don't want to say going through the motions, but I mean it's your your typical World War II movie, and mm-hmm. it's something where when I originally watched this, I don't remember it ever standing out to me. But it's something that has only gotten better through time, because of this quote and how all the subsequent films have been a test for Steve Rogers, and he lives up to it with this with this scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so one of the things I really liked about that that scene as well was, you know, I mean, clearly, Red Skull is clearly, like, the opposite. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> the classic, the villain is the opposite of your your protagonist, right? The whole, and he even says, you know, good becomes bad, good becomes great, bad becomes worse. So, and we're seeing that with Red Skull. Mm-hmm. And all Red Skull wants is the power of the gods. So, you know, so I, I don't know. It was such a, it was such a good speech and such a good thing to, where it was to drive that home. I also like the idea that Rogers wasn't perfect. He like, he didn't understand or didn't know that, mm-hmm. you know, there was this, there was this sense of being naive almost. Mm-hmm. So that being said, uh, we, we've talked about all the reasons why like the topic is described. Steve Rogers is a good man. Something that I think we couldn't get out of this episode without at least talking a little bit about is why is it different that Steve took the serum when it became such an immoral choice in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or at least a choice shunned by the point of view of the writers, given that it was praise for Sam not taking the serum? I have two answers. And the first one, I think, is thin because... 
up until this point, I think you could argue Steve didn't join for the serum. He joined on the promise of a chance. It's actually not until late into the program that they start describing the super soldier aspect of it. So you could maybe skirt that, but I admit that's kind of thin. The second answer, and and I'm willing to get some pushback on this. I'm actually looking forward to it because this is a thought that I'm trying to germinate. Um, And so I'm willing, if you got any holes you can poke, go for it. But I talked about earlier, like you either buy into the character of Captain America or not. Like characters like Steve Rogers, um, I talked a little bit in Falcon and the Winter Soldiers, characters like Batman or Superman, I think oftentimes they are written as characters that are in the right. Like they're their crux of the story is not whether or not they'll fail. It's how much can you throw at them and they still continue to do the right thing, which I can do this all day. I can do this all day, which you could fall into the pitfall of a perfect character being a boring, boring storytelling, you know, situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did that backwards. Well, no, hang on that. There is, I think they have an example of that, of that <laughs> that perfect character being a pit, a, a problem. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, when, when Bucky dies and he's trying to get drunk and can't. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's like it's like he, it, it embraces that mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Well, the way, the way that I was kind of like going into that is that like you could get into the pitfalls of a perfect character being a boring thing. But every now and then you can play with that convention to tell interesting stories. With Steve, we saw what they did in Civil War. Uh, Batman, The Dark Knight, you see what they do with surveillance technology, stuff like that. So all that is to say, whenever it comes to the morality of Steve taking the serum, I think it really comes down to this character is written to be always a good character so the question doesn't ever get asked for him whether or not that's fair i don't know but it all comes back to if you buy into the infallibility of steve rogers or not if that makes sense mm-hmm. that that's no, it does. That, that's the second part of my why it's different for steve it does well i mean if we want to i mean if we want to push the whole it was interesting that he would lie to do whatever he, necessary uh-huh taking this so taking the serum mm-hmm. doing whatever's necessary to get over there to fight mm-hmm. you know so yeah i gotta say as soon as you mentioned that i started to like question oh no do i want to put out my <laughs> my theory about what characters like steve and batman and superman are <laughs> yeah well i mean the thing is though is i don't i don't agree with the premise though that like batman's perfect or superman's perfect for me well it- it feels Superman like Superman should be until he gets into Snyder's hands. <laughs> That's just, why it was harder for me to find a reference point. <laughs> let's just say that was. <sighs> well, God, if I if I can eternal spotlight, sunshine, spotless mind, whatever, it would have to be the Snyder movies. Uh, like, oh man! I just throw that out there. Like I cannot. I just can't. Stay with the positive. Stay with the positives. <laughs> I would if there was anything freaking positive to say about him. Gosh, it's awful. Okay, so All right. sorry, listeners. No, you're fine. You're fine. I love the MCU, but no, it, I'll say that. Even, it's... But but even even the Nolan Batman's right. Mm-hmm. Like Batman Begins is interesting because it's this clash of of Joker saying, "I'm going to push you to the point where it says." 
to you have to break right i want to show you that the rules don't exist by making you break mm-hmm. and it's it's really hard to find a character like you said and then batman breaks rules mm-hmm. so to speak uh in their surveillance mm-hmm. you know i mean never mind that vigilanteism is you know against the law as well but <laughs> but but the thing is though is they were aware of it and wrestled with it right and they and because two-face said is like yeah he is breaking the law but he shouldn't turn himself in on Joker's terms because then Joker wins. Mm-hmm. He should turn it in on our terms. So, so like they were aware of that, you know. And so that's why I say I don't think Batman's a perfect character, and I think it's okay that Steve isn't mm-hmm. the perfect character here, right? But you you are right to pull out the idea of in Falcon and the Winter Soldier taking the serum is a problem, mm-hmm. and here. It's not a problem, but I think part of it is because we get the Red Skull and we get the the two cases. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, Falcon and the Winter Soldier versus this, Falcon and the Winter Soldier as, is, is made at a time when storytelling has become more complex, mm-hmm. you know? And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, story, like, it's not that we haven't had complex stories before. In this, we know who's good. We know who's bad. Mm-hmm. Almost to a Star fault. Wars. Well, yeah. I mean, Star Wars, we know who's good, who's bad, right? Lord of the Rings, we know who's good, who's bad. When you get to Falcon and Winter Soldier, it comes in this this fashion of storytelling that's similar to, I'm going to say Game of Thrones, when mm-hmm. it was good. Um, I'm going to say, oh, what's the other show that comes to mind? Walking Dead kind of comes to mind, mm-hmm. where there's like moral ambiguity of... Oh, there's complex characters, and all of them are good in their own ways and bad in their own ways. Mm-hmm. You know, or or have that potential to be good or be bad in their own ways. Where this one is just kind of your classic. Hey, I know who's good. I know who's bad. And when they're on screen, I'm gonna yell boo. And when they're on screen, I'm gonna yell yay. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll use this moment to to jump on to another thought we were talking about earlier. Uh, pre-recording, I think. I think, because I, I said we know who's, you said we know who's good and who's bad, and I said almost to a fault. I think so much of this movie is wrapped up in like World War II tropes that you don't, like it's shorthand to get these characters in the places we need to be by the end of the movie, and you don't have to spend as much time telling complex stories with these characters like here's your good guys here's your bad guys and i say this um and it feels weird saying this as much of a captain american fan i am i don't know from start to finish if steve rogers undergoes other than the physical undergoes a character change he's pretty much the consistent character from start to finish of wanting to do good so that's what i meant by like the rigidness of a character who's supposed to be perfect and mm-hmm. the crux of the storytelling is the fluidity of the world around them and like bending and trying to remain true to that. Yeah. But because again, it's married to world war two. It just, I don't know. It feels uh, one note, I guess the whole way through. No, I understand. Well, it, going with that, my note says the violence isn't a problem here, but why yeah. did it feel like a big deal? And, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. And I think part of that is, again, it's a straightforward 
We know who's good. We know who's bad. It's World War Two. Shoot them. Yeah. Throw them out the plane. Well, Do shoot. It. And and I had no like. Yeah, go you go, man. Like I I didn't feel bad about it one bit. Uh huh. You know? Well, I mean. And, like, Steve even has the line whenever I think he's getting dropped behind enemy lines to go rescue the 107th. I think Peggy says, what are you going to do if you run into somebody? And Steve goes, well, I have the benefit. If someone yells at me, I shoot them. And, like, it's that scene, like, you should be, like, mortified, but you're right. But, see, it's different because, like, you keep mentioning, they're clearly in – it's a war movie. It's World Mm -hmm. War II. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's not – this is the 1940s. It's you join the army. It's yep. World War II, and so it's okay, you know. I mean, it's it's expected, and of this of a movie like this, you're not expecting it to to treat the action of war in any kind of. I mean, they're using like guns powered by the Tesseract, uh huh. So you're not expecting it to have any kind of deep thought, yeah, on on war and what is battle like and what does it do for the soldiers. Mm-hmm. You're just not right. And and that's that, like you said, that shorthand of this is World War Two. This is a movie we know it, you know. Um, and I and I think that's the difference is Falcon and the Winter Soldier at least was, I think, asking us to consider those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. I, one more thing, I like. I have to get it out there. Captain America had a motorcycle with a flamethrower. Like what? Like that's that's crazy. Yeah. I'll say this: it the violence didn't detract from me like it did in Winter Soldier because uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I guess that tried to be a little bit more complex, but it did stand out a lot to me in this rewatch just because recent watches of Falcon and the Winter Soldier has made me a little bit more privy to it. But I understand your reasoning of like, hey, it's a war movie. Yeah, but man, flamethrower on a motorcycle. <laughs> hey, you do what you do, get the job done. <laughs> Oh man. Cool. So we're talking about this. I want let's we're talking about this and I I wanted to switch over to this next topic. Okay. Only because we we keep focusing on right at this point, right? It's a war movie, it's a war movie. And the next topic we wanted to talk about was American propaganda. Yeah. You know, and and so it feels like a really good place to bring that up. Okay. With with this idea of again, it's a war movie, it's a war movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say it from this standpoint, from the standpoint of, again, the shorthand of we clearly know who's good and who's bad. And most of the war movies that I think of kind of very clearly still, you know, who's good and who's bad. Most of them. I mean, there's there's clearly a lot of war movies out there with a lot of complex complexity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, trying to show the horrors of war and, and the things that soldiers go through. But there's also a lot of war movies out there where it's like, we're clearly America and we're clearly in the right. The word I keep wanting to come back to, and I, I and I say this cautiously because I don't want to trivialize anything, but I think you could argue there's like a romanticism, like a romanticized version of World War II that you see in American-centric World War II movies. Of like, yeah, well, ne- I mean, for, for there, Saving Private Ryan comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Band of Brothers, which I love, comes to mind. I haven't watched The Pacific. Mm-hmm. What's so um, funny? I've seen the Pacific. I haven't seen Band of Brothers. <laughs> oh, really? That's great. That's awesome. I love the Pacific. <laughs> so yeah, but like, but like, I in in those you get some complexity and some depth, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of like, oh, there's still people, right? Yeah. 
on the quote unquote bad side. But there was like moments it was kind of there as far as it not completely layered all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so you, so you have that. Um, it, and so, yeah, so you have that as part of it. And, I, and to what extent did you call that propaganda or not? Yes and no. But what I love is in this show, they were just in this movie, they just up front used Captain America for propaganda. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason why American propaganda was the most important topic I know I wanted to cover um, stemmed from a video that you showed me years ago at this point now. Mm -hmm. And it it specifically spoke to, I think it's from uh, One Marvelous Scene. I can't remember the YouTube channel's name. I think you might know. Uh, Is it Just Right? Yes, the YouTube channel's Just Right. And when Endgame came out, maybe it was Infinity War, but I'm pretty sure it was Endgame, a lot of YouTubers did a video called One Marvelous Scene mm-hmm. and Just Right's version of that was on uh, this scene in particular, uh, the montage scene, but also... The Star-Spangled Man with a Plan. The Star-Spangled Man with a Plan scene, but he he did tackle military use in the MCU as a whole. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that video helped inform a lot of the way that I view this movie now. And to briefly summarize, because you definitely should watch the video again, which we will link, but to briefly summarize his point he was making is the reason this movie works is because the the movie is aware of the inception of the original character was propaganda. Uh, you know, yeah. Captain America punching Adolf Hitler, and it was used in comic books to like you know sell to children and promote you mm-hmm. know America. And the comic, and the comic was in the movie. Yeah, the comic was in the movie. So he his argument was that it works because this movie's aware of it and kind of inverts it by showing that it's a joke to the audience. Right. Something I found really interesting is to to piggyback off his thought and go a step further. As much as this movie is a commentary on American propaganda, you know, by the time we get to the point of the second montage where Steve and the Howling Commandos are wiping the Hydra bases off the map, mm-hmm. The only difference between that and the propaganda films in the beginning during the Star Spangled Man is a better budget and a better style. And yeah. it almost feels like Captain America the First Avenger is its own meta propaganda to set up mm-hmm. for the Avengers and the future of the MCU because they have to do so much establishing work to get you to buy into this character of Captain America that I do think you see that fault of the one note going through, like here are the good things about who he is and why he works and let's get you ready for the Avengers. I remember when I first watched it, I watched it to get ready for the Avengers and I didn't really <laughs> care for this movie. I really didn't. Uh-huh. Right. Like I, it was just part of, to, I got to see Avengers. So I got to watch these, right. The the ones I haven't seen. And I remember that uh-huh. star spangled man with the plan felt long and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like, yes. I, it's, just, it's like, what are we doing? But and seeing it again later, before watching that one YouTube video, I was like, oh, it wasn't that bad at all. It wasn't, it wasn't that long at all. And then when seeing that video and giving that context, it's like, okay, so I just didn't get it the first time, you know, and the second time, which mm-hmm. is fine. I don't have to get everything on the first watch. Right. That's what makes rewatches but, fun. But what I, what I found interesting, though, now seeing it, it's like, 
he wasn't into it, right? Like he's, he didn't memorize his lines. It's on the back of his shield, but you see himself buy into his own propaganda. Uh huh. And then he gets like knocked back down to earth when he gets in front of the actual soldiers and he's confronted with the horrors of war. But like you said, it, it almost undoes itself developmentally mm-hmm. by then doing another montage glorifying the war. Yeah. And so it was a really weird turn, but you, but like you said, you have to do, I think overall that's the biggest problem I have with this movie mm-hmm. is it's still just, I I do enjoy it, but it still feels like knowing, knowing the context of what, where it's at in phase one, it's like you, y'all did this knowing you got to get it ready for the Avengers and the montages were the, were the fastest way to set up how the soul, how the myth, the mythos of Captain America is built and the love of the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Cause I, I know we talked about it pre-recording. We may have mentioned again, just to hammer it home. It almost feels like they have set up the character, but he is not tested until the Avengers or the subsequent Captain America movies. But if you do take all those subsequent movies, Steve's entire character arc from start to finish is he goes from, you know, this propaganda style World War II of wanting to put his trust in something like the government and the army uh, to putting his trust into the the shield and then seeing that fall in Winter Soldiers, putting his faith in the Avengers and then that falling in civil war to the point where he realizes that it's not institutions he should put his faith in. It's people like the individual mm-hmm. people that he gets close to. And so to follow that through line, it's really interesting to me to see how often the serve your country gets brought up in the first Avenger as a catalyst for so much of the action. Uh, you know, it's what gets him to enlist. Um, it, it's what gets him to go through all the pageantry for the bond sales. But the the biggest growth point I can see from in just this movie is the slow change of him starting to memorize his lines to getting confronted, like you said, with the tragedy of war. And it is a good stepping stone to where he eventually ends up by the end of Civil War and to some extent Endgame. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, he's a hopeful character, right? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you see that him building up and and that hope hope in the soldiers uh especially when you the odds against all of them and he gets them out so in in that way you you want that i don't say positivity but but like you want to have that balance of like okay here's the horrors of war but we in a weird way you kind of have to glorify it a little Uh bit Mm -hmm. and and i agree with you 100 percent in terms of like feeling like you just got to get to the avengers yeah. And they really pack a lot in this movie, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, and in, in, in doing so. We haven't done it yet, but Winter Soldier, you know, is where you really, I think, get to see Steve mm-hmm. kind of grow and develop as a character. You see him fall again in Civil War for not signing the Accords. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly that was a mistake. 100%. So. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad you agree with me now. I but, was trying to call your bluff, man. <laughs> Just to see where you'd go. <laughs> no, I was, I was waiting, I was waiting for you to, to, to like kind of drop the hammer. 
Uh-huh. Uh, but no, look, I my my camera throwing arm is sore after all the last two episodes we did of Falcon, so I'm ta- I'm taking it loosey goosey from here on out. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> so I shouldn't do any shots of the truck. Go ahead. Towards I'm okay. fine. I love all it. Right. Well, I will say this on the topic of being loosey goosey, something I did want to say um because I don't feel like I did enough positives of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, something that I think they did really well is something you're talking about here is the first Avenger had so much to cover in just the two hour runtime. And I think it was yeah. really smart that Falcon and the Winter Soldier split up the idea of Captain America into different parts. Uh, mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about it in our review, but with Walker, you almost had the pageantry of it in some of those first few episodes where he was dealing with that. And then with Sam, you had the legacy of the shield that he was dealing with. And it's really impressive, both on their part that they did that, but sticking with our movie review, that the first Avenger was able to pull all that off in two hours. Oh, yeah. Because they end with a shot of a kid running in the street uh-huh. with a trash can lid painted as the shield. Yeah. And we start, you know, we, I didn't mention this just because we had it for kind of another section, um, which we I think we've overlapped in some of our talks That's already. Fine. But we the first thing we see is the shield buried in ice. You know, so clearly, mm-hmm. the, you know, the shield is something that, of importance uh, from mm-hmm. the very beginning. Yeah. And I want to go, I wish I would have written this down because you just sparked an idea. Isn't one of the first shots we get when we get to Brooklyn is kids playing baseball in the street? Mm-hmm. And America's so- America's pastime. America's pastime. So like you have a, almost a bookend of you see kids playing in the, the street with baseball and then you get the end shot where it's the kid with the trash can shield. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, I think that'll move us into our next important topic which is entitled A Man Out of Time. So this will involve everything with the present day scenes in the movies and how that connects to the Marvel Cinematic Universe at large. So I think the first place we can start is a question I actually have for you. Do you feel like the present day stuff is actually more of a distraction from the movie? Yes. Like having it open up with the being in the snow and the mystery and then finding the shield. How did that feel to you? Oh, 100%. I agree with your distraction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason why is because it's, it, for me, the whole movie, and, and it could be because of the way I watched it the first time, Uh huh. but I know that that's not the case, and it really is just set up for the Avengers, is because that's what the end tag was. Yeah. I, I mean, the- The, the, the worst end tag. Yeah, was, was a shot from the movie- and it had little like preview clips, like your first trailer, I think. Uh-huh. Is teaser of, of Avengers. So like clearly this was I feel like it was early enough in the MCU where it's just like, can we even do this? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when you get into phase two, Winter Soldier's truly a standalone. Oh yes. Civil War is truly in the that realm where we have got a grasp of how to interconnect these to a larger story mm-hmm. and thinking three movies down the line. And and they've really figured that out. Right. And so right here, they're clearly still in the phase of like, dude, we want to do a team up movie and, but we need characters to team up. Mm-hmm. And so let's make a solo movie, which is great. Cause it'd have been so much worse if they just went straight to the team. Yeah. Up. 
Man, personally, I would have loved to have seen Iron Man versus Captain America as the first Avenger movie, you know? Who needs all this setup? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we taking shots at Snyder this episode? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. Even one of my notes was like, it was, oh, some Zack Snyder slow-mos during the montage. <laughs> you can't attribute slow-mo to just snacks, Zack Snack Snyder? <laughs> well, it's it's like, it's, you can't, it's like you can't just, you know... Michael Bay is not the only one that does explosions, and right. J.J. Abrams isn't the only one that does lens flares, but everybody associate has... it with them. Yeah. You got so... a point. Anyway. Anyways. Getting back on topic, you know, I, I'm not I'm not ready to levy this criticism at the- and This is why This is why when people ask, like, oh, are you going to review that just for fun? This no. is why. <laughs> this is why we can't review that just for fun. Did you see how snippy I got at Falcon and the Winter Soldier? And I like that. <laughs> and you don't even get the worst of it because leech is totally telling me that i should start my own snarky twitter account and just keep it private because i've shared oh, other man. stuff with her oh man <laughs> all right a second attempt at getting back on topic i don't want to levy this full criticism at the at the captain america the first avenger but i do want to say you know we talked a lot about in our bonus episode of daredevil about the Marvel movies at a point not having confidence in itself and trying to fit in a lot of things. I think, and I had to rewatch all of phase one again. I think this might be (laughs) to use something I haven't thought about since middle school. Like, you know, the made you flinch. This feels Mm -hmm. like Captain America, the first Avenger flinching by feeling like it needs to get the audience like, no, 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 don't worry. We're going to be back to present day's time. We just need to get through this world war two era. Uh And so they bookend it with the promise of more. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That's a That's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. So you have Nick, Nick, Nick Fury shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, that's a fantastic way to put it. Because yeah. it's, so it's, it's not kid, like uh, it's not quite a lack of confidence. It is just a flinch, like just a momentary where they weren't sure. But it's still and it's still a great movie. It works because of how charismatic and likable everybody is. But it is it is. It's not often you see the MCU waiver. Well, so let me ask you this: Is it because it was bookended? Like, what if we, what if you chop off the present day from the beginning? Oh, hundred percent better. Because when I think about it, and if I can put my <laughs> my untested screenwriter's hat on, and when what's I think so of- funny is we're is we're rewriting now the writers who gave us Infinity War and Endgame, and Winter Soldier, <laughs> and Captain America: Civil War. So continue to fix their work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's what I think of like every, every scene you do has to have a purpose, right? What is the purpose of knowing Steve gets down on the ice? Like we don't need to know that at that point, like it'll be just as surprising Mm -hmm. at the end to see like he wakes up in present day. In fact, the surprise works a lot more not having that beginning part where they discover his shield in the ice. You're like, you're yeah. giving away your third act before the first act starts. Right. Right. So. I really like that you brought up that, the purpose, because, because, <laughs> so I, I do like that they, when he made the jump, they didn't show him making the jump. Uh-huh. Right. Like I, I, I and do I do like that. I mean, we all just know for, just for clarity, you're talking about that scene where he jumps across the bridge with Bucky and everything's exploding? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we all know he's gonna make the jump. Mm-hmm. When they when they pull up to you know the camp, all those soldiers, 
that's about an hour and 12 minutes. Like I noted this down. That happens about an hour and 12 minutes with 53 minutes left. So just basic runtime. We know he's making it. It's Cap. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad they didn't show it. Mm -hmm. We end up in that situation because my note, Cap is a one-man army. And just in case we didn't know, Red Skull sets off the self-destruct. And Armin Zola is like, no, what are you doing? And he's like, look, we're outmatched. But then when at the end, when they go and he's like, yeah, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to knock on the front door. They overtook Cap. And I know earlier, Cap by himself, they were outmatched. Why not now? Mm -hmm. like, it, like it didn't match up for me. Yeah. You know, this might be my truck, mm -hmm. but. <laughs> well, just because well, just it felt so like to use your thing and then this happened and then this happened because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like okay we're in this situation we just established that cap was outmatched everybody by himself hmm how do we get our villain out of here so we can continue the movie yeah so let's do this and then well how do we get to the villain and, and you, you know what i mean it, it just felt like you're watching the wheels turn and then mm -hmm. figure this out mm -hmm. rather than it kind of a natural progression. Mm -hmm. I think that goes more in line with what we talked about with the shorthand. Like it works because we know the familiarity of World War II and all that jazz. But like, you know, hearing you describe that, think about how much better. And again, I'm putting my screenwriter hat on. Think about how much better it would have been if you really focused in on, okay, Here's your two test subjects. Schmidt is somebody who got the serum and he's bad. Steve Rogers, somebody who's got the serum and he's good. If we would have seen more of Steve going into that role instead of the montages, you could have played off the insecurities of the Red Skull, realizing that he isn't the perfect, you know, super soldier he thought he was as he's watching this mm -hmm. quote unquote nobody rise to, to this status. Right. But the point of the movie is not for us to see the inner workings of their, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm just going to put it for shorthand, their insecurities. It's, we've got to create this romantic idea of Captain America, which is why we don't see him make the jump, because the story that's told is more important than what happened. Mm -hmm. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, in, in that way, the framing makes sense, but they didn't do it well, or they didn't do it mm -hmm. right. In that, hmm, like the whole middle section's a flashback. Uh-huh. And so now it's it's almost like, like, like the world should have known who Captain America was mm -hmm. in his Smithsonian ex exhibit. Mm -hmm. And instead of starting with In the Ice, you start at his Smithsonian exhibit and you push into newsreel footage of him. Mm-hmm back as a little kid or whatever, or pictures of him as a little kid in Brooklyn before the serum and mm -hmm. use that as your window into the forties. So doing it that way, it very much, like you said, will build up who cap is in a romanticized way. Cause we're doing it through the museum. Mm -hmm. And then I think you get that surprise reaction when he wakes up after going into the ice. Yeah. And and so I th I think the modern day stuff in the beginning could have worked actually if you would have done it you know that way through the through the Smithsonian. Mhm. Mm 
So I want to backtrack just a little bit because I think there is something problematic of me saying the story that's told is more important than what happened. I want to clarify. Uh, and I'm going to use Star Wars The Last Jedi as a good example of this. Um, and spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen it, but I think it's been out a while, so it should be fine. Yeah. L- look at the way that that movie ends. And again, I know this is very heated. Not everybody likes it, but look at the way that story ends. Nope. Yep. <laughs> I love it. So look at the way <laughs> I know, that's I just I, I know you do. So I had to say it that way. <laughs> look at the way that, I, I think it's beautiful. The way it ends, everything is built up on this crux of Luke Skywalker doesn't feel like he lives up to the legend that everybody believes in. So he doesn't think that he because he even says, do you want me to go and stand down their armies? I, I can't do that. And by the end, he does that fake out with Kylo Ren and he uses pass it like he never strikes he's just dodging to buy time for the resistance to keep moving on but that's not the story that gets told the the at the end like luke skywalker saved the galaxy once again and it has those kids believing in the magic of the jedi once forward re-democratizing that it doesn't have to be just one family all that jazz but that's what i mean where the story that's told is more important than what actually happened and so Mm -hmm. that's almost what's happening to a lesser extent with steve making that jump but not seeing it Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that's why I was saying I think in the beginning they used the wrong entry point from modern day. Uh-huh. So, one more thing that I wanted to bring up here in this man out of time section. Again, ways this connects to the MCU at large. Something I'm going to read a quote. This is something that came out I think in 2019 that Kevin Feige uh was talking about in regards to Thor. Uh, This is the quote. We'll never make a more important decision in this company than what's happening in this room. Saturday morning at 1030, when you pick up that phone to Chris Hemsworth and then Tom Hiddleston. Of course, that was all in relation to how much the casting of these two characters was going to either make or break Mm -hmm. the Thor film because it was going to be the most ambitious thing at the time for the MCU because it was so out there. And I'm not disagreeing with that. I think that's entirely true. But for everything, for as important as that decision was, Captain America following it up, I think, is the one-two punch that really sets the groundwork for the MCU. Because Thor bursted the gates down of Fantastical. Captain America grounded it by having the distinction of, like, science and magic. Uh, you see it in the way that Dr. Erskine was saying that, you know, Hitler uses the fantasies to inspire his troops. Red Skull believes it. Or you saw how in the beginning when he invades, I believe, Norway and he finds the throne room with the Tesseract. He Everybody was trying to wrap it up as like just magical fairy tales. But right. he was like, you know, we believe this is true. So it was so smart on Marvel's part to take everything that was fantastic about the movie before it and bring it to something more relatable here. And I love that. Oh, yeah. My note from the beginning with that Red Skull section you just mentioned was they're establishing the MacGuffin, right? Uh-huh. But, but, they, but not just the MacGuffin for this movie, really. It's the MacGuffin for, man, the MCU in three phases. Yeah. You know, and they and they were really setting up a mythology, like you said, mm-hmm. with the the Tesseract. And I don't think they called it the Tesseract. No. Until Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. So it's so yeah. So I I like that, like that that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I, I I think it's really for as much as I said this was the MCU flinching. I think it's still smart in some of the steps that it takes as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our man out of time important topic, which leaves us with stray thoughts. So, Jude, do you have any stray thoughts for Captain America the First Avenger? Yeah, stray thoughts. Uh, I like that Howard Stark at the expo was very similar to Tony in Iron Man 2. Yeah. With with the, the girls and, and stuff. And again, we, we talked in Iron Man 2, our problems with it, but I, it was just the whole father-son thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that. Well it's, so, all... well, it's so funny, too, that you mentioned Iron Man 2. Something I thought that was funny between the two is in both movies, you have the hero standing up a senator that was going to praise them. And that, I thought uh-huh. that was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Hmm. I, no, never mind. No. Kinda... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, I'm loosey goosey. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, taking all the stupid with you hits differently now. Uh huh. Um, I like how when they showed Red Skull being really rash and he up up the power, how you start to see the portal opening. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, at least to get that feeling. Um, having done the podcast for a while and the things I know about audio and video, Doctor Erskine thumping the mic is a terrible thing to do. Just, <laughs> just just say testing into it. Don't thump the mic. Uh huh. Um, bad idea. Uh, now I'm going to skip this one cause it's a question and I'm gonna come back to it. Okay. And see what you think. The kid could swim. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, when he threw the kid in, I like the arc reactor sound when his gun fired, uh, yeah. talking about the, the Tesseract charged gun, uh, skip that one. Cause it's a question. Trafalgar square. Getting to see that from London was my, one of my favorite places in London. Uh, so it was cool to see that. I was kind of surprised how close Nick Fury had him stashed to Times Square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't that that doesn't seem smart. Uh, but I'm not Nick Fury. Fury clearly has a plan, so he can call him Cap. Yeah. <laughs> For as much as I was kind of comfortable with the violence, there was the one scene where I was like, "Whoa." He just got chopped up and it's yeah. in blood. Uh-huh. Like that was, that was, that was phase one dark days of MCU. Dude, that, and then when Peggy headshots the driver and they stayed with it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that there was the callback, you know, the Bucky moment callback uh, from Falcon and Winter Soldier where Steve saved the day, right? came back with the soldiers and he's like, let's hear it from Captain America, you know, and then Sam saves the truck and he's like, good job, Cap. So uh-huh. I, I like that, that they had that, uh-huh. um, the, both the, the acknowledgement, you know, Cap yeah. saving the day in both ones, you know, that was really cool. So question. Okay. I feel like, do you want the silly question first? They're both silly, but it's like one's even more silly than the other. So the, you want the silly one or the super silly one first? Let's do the silly one first. Let's ease into the silliness. Okay. The machine, especially after Falcon and Winter Soldier, feels very overkill. And thinking about what Walker did to take the serum. Uh-huh. And then, like, the whole electrical bu- boost. Uh-huh. It, that just felt super overkill on, yeah. on there. What do you think? Was that not? Was, like, was, was like Howard Stark giving an electrical boost? Like, Well, that that's the... The thing, right? Like, 
I think you can make an argument there's a clear distinction between the serum used in the first Avenger and the serum used in Falcon and the Winter Soldier because Steve gets big. Like he has a full on transformation and that's due yeah, to the, and the others race. don't. Okay. And so the others don't have that transformation. And I think that even becomes a plot point in Agent Carter where everything always stems from people trying to do the super soldier replication, but not quite yeah. getting it right. And yeah. I, be- I can't remember exactly, but Vita Rays came into play in uh, Agent Carter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I just watched this like, man, that seems very overkill now. Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to point out, and I didn't have a full enough thought, which is why I didn't bring it, bring it up. Within that Vita Ray section, you mentioned when Red Skull was boosting the power recklessly. Steve mm-hmm. boosts that power as well. There's an interesting thread between them two, but I couldn't quite pull out a oh, nugget yeah. of what it means. Well, well I mean, because he said, no, keep going. Keep mm-hmm. going. Yeah. Yeah. I can take it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're also a human experiment at this point. Like, yeah. you don't know. You're, mm-hmm. you're like Drax saying, I can take it. And they're all like, no, you can't take it. <laughs> yeah. It's just in this case, they, they were like, okay, we'll do it anyways. No, so, I... <laughs> now I want to see a recut of the first Avenger, but it's Drax instead. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this all day. I'd have to sleep at some point. <laughs> okay, now the super silly question, I feel like. I feel Here like we... it's super silly. Here we go. So th- this was really unrealistic where you have, and we talked about the body chain, the, you know, the scrawny kid all of a sudden gets really big. Uh-huh. Right? I feel like... And correct me if I'm wrong, or, or do you feel, do you think, and I said it's a question, somebody rephrased the question, do you think that this is actually the way they should have portrayed it, maybe a little bit? I feel like when he would, went from small to big, it actually would have been a little awkward, kind of like the kid growing up that's not quite coordinated yet. Like, he shouldn't <laughs> have been able to, like, like sprint barefoot and do all that stuff right away. Like, that's, uh-huh. a, that's, a, that's a new body, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Do you think that that they actually should have maybe explored that a little bit? I would say yes, only because I think they tried to a little bit. Because when he's running away, he kind of like loses his footing and crashes into the wedding store. So you get a little bit of it there. But Is yeah, that what that was? Okay. Yeah, that's, what, that's the way I've read it, that okay. he's going so fast he doesn't know how to regulate his speed. Okay, okay. He's like, yeah, I'm just like, like I just imagine he's like, no, he's like, you haven't been able to run your whole life, you uh-huh. know, <laughs> and now all of a sudden you can, like, uh-huh. like it's, you're going to be goofy and awkward. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you said it was going to be a silly question and you were like uh, framing it as like going from the big, from the small to big, I legitimately thought your silly question was going to be, does the Viter race do have something to do with like characters who get bigger and their pants grow accustomed to them as well? Because <laughs> isn't that exactly what happened to the Hulk? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Vita Rays makes your 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 clothing um, uh, flexible to whatever needs exactly. you have. <laughs> well, okay. You know, story. Well, let's not think about those things. But no, like, like I just it did. It felt that just felt super silly because there's an element of like it's Captain America. You just accept it. Uh huh. You, you know. But but yeah. yeah. I just thought for a second. It's like no, he should be like awkward and not be able to do stuff right away. Mm-hmm. So that's, I took up a lot great. of time in stray thoughts. What about yours? <laughs> so uh, my first stray thought, uh, and it can be rhetorical unless you got something to add. What do you think the men who beat up Captain America think after they go, like after they find out the legacy of who he is? Like at some point, like they're old men and they're like, 
Oh, yeah, we used to beat that guy up. No, that's exactly what they said. Uh-huh. That's exactly what they said. Dude, me and a buddy of mine... We used to bully st- people. No. <laughs> no. I'd say me and a buddy of mine, though, like, like it's, it sounds so silly, but we st- we'll still be like, yeah, you know, so-and-so, he went on to the major leagues, like, uh-huh. made it to the big leagues. He was the starting pitcher, and we hit him. Mm-hmm. And- their team for a championship in city league baseball. Like we still talk about that, but like, yeah. because he went to the major leagues, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we hit that guy. Like, <laughs> that's I bet exactly you, what they're saying. Not to discredit you going back into the, the universe of the Marvel cinematic universe. I bet they leave out the detail of him being a scrawny kid when they beat him up. It's like, Oh yeah, I beat up captain America. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's like, it's like the scene that got cut in homecoming. Uh-huh. Where which I hate that they, they cut it. It's just one I line know. where he's like, I stole a shield. Then he beat me up. Like <laughs> like I, I wish he would have left that part in. It's so um, good. Because like clearly the kid we were able to hit as a pitcher, mm-hmm. when he was a kid, he was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like 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 it's it's it, it meant nothing in, in that in that sense. And and so yeah. Uh so yeah, so absolutely that's what they did. <laughs> I love it. Uh, next straight thought. Actually, it's two, but I want to say this one first because it's not a question. Um, it's really funny to me that Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark breaks character a little bit whenever he's talking about uh, after Steve apprehend, well, didn't apprehend, after Steve stops the, the Hydra agent and they're investigating his vessel, Howard mentions like, oh, this is beyond our tech. I think he's using his regular accent. And it was funny that it stuck out to me. Because uh, I I rarely ever catch stuff like that, um, yeah. but this leads into my second point: is who do you prefer, Dominic Cooper or John Slattery as Howard Stark? Because it feels like they're distinct, different characters. Mm. I don't know. I don't think of them as different. Really? I because I feel like one's older and one's the younger. Uh huh. Well, like I have a hard time imagining Dominic Cooper's Howard Stark growing into John Slattery. And this isn't a negative thing. Like, against... no, no I, yeah, I see that. Uh huh. But it is like, do you have a preference on the, the actors? Like, would you have liked to have seen them keep Dominic Cooper and age him up for some of the other stuff? Uh, I'm going to say Slattery only because I feel like I've seen him as Howard Stark more. Uh huh. Um, now mind you, I have not watched agents of shield, not agents of shield. Agent Carter. Uh, Agent Carter. I so, forgot you didn't finish that. Yeah, I never. I finished. I didn't finish it. I only saw a couple of episodes. Yeah, uh, I liked what I saw, but I I didn't finish it. So mm-hmm. in in that way, I still think of Howard Slatter. I I honestly think of him as like okay, here's young and here's old, but between the two, Slattery. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I think I'm right there with you. Just because it, as much as I love Dominic Cooper's Howard Stark. His inclusion is not, his inclusion is like icing on the cake. John Slattery's inclusion of Howard Stark is more meaningful to Tony. Like, mm-hmm. it has more importance in the story. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see. What other straight thought do I have? Oh, uh, my, I think it's my last straight thought. It is a shame that because and we talked about it extensively, but because of them doing the montages to to build the mythos of Captain America, the Howling Commandos become um, almost stuck in that montage. So I don't know if you have room to tell stories with them, and they 
definitely deserve like their own Disney Plus series because they were such a good group of characters, but we don't get that much time with them, unfortunately. To the point, like, the only reason I know some of their names is because I had captions on. So, would that be a Disney Plus series we want or watch? I would. I like World them. War I like II. their di- Yeah, just World War II. How- and I, I know in the in the comics, they come back but I think it's part like zombie or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, 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 like I, I think, I think I've seen that or you know what I mean? Uh, I don't have enough to speak on it in terms of any detail. Uh huh. So, but, but it's definitely something I would be interested in, in terms of like agents of shield style show, but with them. Mm hmm. Well, that's going to do it for our stray thoughts. So if you have any thoughts or opinions on Captain America the First Avenger, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you'd like to join the Discord, we got a link for it in the show notes. And again, when you join, uh, if you want to get access to the spoiler section where you have free reign to talk about all of the Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, WandaVision, or Loki spoilers, make sure you go to the podcast roll channel and click the emoji eyeballs to get you access to the spoiler. Zone. Yeah, it's a great section. A lot of ideas tossed around there. Also, it would be a big help to us rating review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, make sure you follow us so we can get episodes as soon as they come out. And please share with a friend. It's a huge uh, help to us. And more people to talk about the MCU with is always fantastic. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work, which is linked in his SoundCloud, in the description. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. This is really hard to highlight stuff on an iPad. Oh, yeah, I'm working on my laptop. Apple Pencil, dude. Apple Pencil. I do have one. I should go get it. I'm not going to get out of this closet just for that, though. But no. I, need to, <laughs> I need to remember to bring that. Side note, we got my mom an iPad Air for Mother's Day, and I'm so excited to see her open it tomorrow. That's going to be cool. Yeah. Like, I've never seen her, like... Before her getting an iPad, like she would need help, like using YouTube. And now she's like learning so many arts and crafts stuff, and she's like constantly on it, joining Instagram live videos. It's really cool. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Get her caught up to speed. She can start doing her social media promos. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now that's going to be the end tag. Just. To... <laughs> <laughs> well, mom, I'm sorry. Family business.